Welcome back, everybody. Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Dr. Pete Carney, what's up, my friend? Hey, how you doing, Steve? Thanks for having me back. Yeah, man, it's uh, all good. We've been very busy, but we're having a great time with these sessions. Really happy to have you back with us today for a topic we're calling Building a Good Solo. Participants are muted for the courtesy of the session, but if there are questions, we'll get those to Pete using the chat feature. Check us out at clearwaterjazz.com. The education and outreach section has all of these upcoming sessions. And if you want to watch them after the fact, you can do so in our studio. That resource is brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners. And you can also listen to these sessions in our Young Lions podcast brought to you by Marine Max Clearwater. Let me tell you a little bit about Pete, and we're going to get right into this today. Dr. Pete Carney is the Director of Jazz Studies at State College of Florida in Bradenton. Recently, his big band students took 8 out of 20 chairs in the All-State Band for State Colleges in Florida. In the last two years, two of his students have won first place in the statewide FC, FC SSAA Jazz Improvisation Scholarship Competition. He has previously given lectures on Radiohead and jazz at the National Jazz Conference and given a TED Talk on designing curiosity in music education. Pete's music textbook, Interactive Listening, was chosen by Apple as editor's choice. He is headlined as saxophonist at jazz festivals, including Rochester Jazz Festival, the Aberdeen Festival in Scotland with his acid jazz group Orange Alert, and many others. Locally, he's often hosts jazz sessions at Ruby's in St. Pete on Thursday nights and um, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful educator and musician, and we're happy to have him. So, Pete, welcome back, man. The stage is all yours. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Steve. Um, it's good to be back, and it's good to be part of all these amazing workshops. It's just becoming an incredible library out of, you know, out of something difficult that's happening in the world. <laughs> We're creating this massive uh, library of jazz education that we wouldn't have done before, you know? And so I think it's exciting for now, and it's exciting for the future for, for young musicians to have something to look at. And, and uh and then see how jazz works from a lot of different perspectives uh, i just i've been really impressed going through the workshops and listening to everybody else's talks all the different ways of of talking about music and it's it's interesting you know as a teacher because we find multiple ways and we all kind of get to the same thing eventually about soloing and how to play um I was just judging this, this, the national saxophone competition right before COVID started, literally the week before. And it was basically the 10 top college players in the country um, flew out to Arizona and played. And at the end of the day, the winner, you know, the winner of that competition, it was about the person that had the best solo in the eyes of, you know, five judges, um, different professors from across the country that that flew in to, to be a part of it. And it was incredible because you had all these different styles of players. Um, you had great players from University of Miami and, and Manhattan School. And the, the interesting thing was the, the player who, who won it, he was from a smaller school in, in, um, in uh, the middle of North Carolina, not from a big jazz program. But he had like this, he had this sort of feel in his solo that was really unique. Um, he had this real, like, um, authenticity in the way he played that came straight from the heart. And that's the part that's hard to teach. I can talk to you today about all the technical stuff. I can talk to you about 
like philosophically and and mechanically how do we do this but the important thing is that that heart that he had and the commitment to the music came through in the long run and that's why he won there were you know there were kids that that had incredible incredible technique and this kid didn't show off his technique necessarily as much as the uh, other guys did but he had a um uh, just a spirit in his sound and the swing the way that he swung was so convincing that it you could you could tell when you listen to him that he truly loved the music he didn't just play it well you know what i mean like when he got in the car he drove home listening to jazz when he when he goes to bed he's probably listening to dexter gordon and he wakes up listening to sonny rollins and he just goes through the library he probably likes other stuff too doesn't mean you don't like other music i hate that stuff too but he he had a certain commitment to like the deepness of this language and what i want to talk to you about today is that the deepness of a of a great solo um the technical ways that kind of help you play really well i teach a lot of kids how to solo and there there are things that come up consistently you know um it is a difficult human activity the the act of improvisation is one of the like most difficult brain activities i know of and that's why i really fell in love with jazz because it was so hard you know when i was in high school i liked playing chess because i was playing against these really smart guys but the thing about jazz was that it was like chess and poetic motion and it's for the artistry of the music it wasn't for defeating anyone you know it wasn't um it was for like lifting up the music and lifting up the players you play with and like i never had that emotional attachment to chess like i did even though jazz is very similar to me it's very uh strategic and like logical and but it has this emotional element that wins in the end so it has all the deepness of logic but it has the commitment um to like the true heart of a, of a person that has to come out <clears throat> and when you when you play for audiences they tell you they tell you whether you have that or not you know um you can be the most tech, in young players you see the same things you see in old players right some people have a lot of heart and they don't have the technique yet or some people have a lot of technique but they don't have the heart and uh you have to know that i guess if i tell you anything today it's that you have to be committed to letting your inner spirit come through your music if that doesn't happen then people don't buy it the audience can smell it you know like mm, something's not right it's too technical or or maybe this person is you know could the opposite is like they can be too emotional and there's no it's just um just just too much emotion and not enough artistry or not enough logic so it's a balance of both but the heart always wins you know um even in even in jazz which is more technical music than most types of music right if you get up and you play a screaming rock solo and it has all this awesome energy that does it but with jazz you have to have that screaming feeling but still like this sort of technical discipline and like the balance of both worlds that's to me what really drew me into it so i wanted to i brought some uh slides to show you just some basic um slides to um think about these are the points that i teach everybody and the the points that i keep coming back to 
it doesn't matter where you are as a musician. I feel like I keep coming back to these bullet points in my brain um, because they're the same stumbling box everybody's trying to get through as a player. Um, so let me see if I can pull that up. And um, here we go. Don't look at my messy desktop. All right, so developing a good solo. And again, like I talked about with you know, the kid that won this uh, national competition, it was about his solo. When at the end of the day, he played the melody really nicely and everybody else did too. But again, jazz is, is um, it's about soloing and telling a story over time, you know, navigating uh, difficult chord changes and still having spirit to sound graceful over that. Okay. Um, the first thing is important is, is just having a great, beautiful sound. People don't actually come to listen to music at concerts. I tell this to my students all the time. You, they, came, they come to hear sound, right? They come to hear sound. We come to hear music second. But the first thing we love to hear is a beautiful sound. If I have a bad sound, um, nobody's going to care what I say. It's sort of like having a bad speaking voice. Everybody has, to, everybody has potential to have a speaking voice. You have to find your own voice. So as a musician, if you don't give people your sound when you play, they don't feel connected to you. They don't feel like they're listening to an authentic person that has something to say. Nobody wants to come hear you practice jazz. Nobody wants to come hear you <clears throat> study jazz or nobody wants to come hear you sound like somebody else. You have to get in touch with um, the sound that you create has to make you happy inside. And if it does that, it's gonna make other people happy. It's not complicated, right? If you play a sound and you feel it, other people are going to feel that too. That's just kind of how humans work. Most times you go to a concert, singer walks out on stage, singer sings one note, and you know whether you want to hear more of this or not. You know, great singers walk out and the first note just takes your breath away. And you and you just say, wow, just from a note. That's not music yet, right? When they sing that first note, to me, that's just sound. Sound is so, so again, I'm just gonna play a little bit as we go. Um, so it kind of requires me to bounce over to, I've got a little, just a basic play along here. Again, so just going back to having a nice sound. I don't have to play very much music, I ha but I do have to play with a lot of spirit and, and like the sound of my instrument is what people wanna hear more than the notes way more than the notes. I would argue that I'm sort of barely playing music at this point, folks. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, like, I'm just playing sound. 
and it draw it has a potential to draw you in. If I play that on a concert um, and the audience isn't listening, they will be listening, I think, because the like I'm just focused on a note, you know, filling up a space and it that gets people's attention. Like, oh, somebody is speaking with a nice voice. I'd rather listen to that than listen to my friend talk. You know, it's gonna be very captivating, very effective as a as a as a soloist to just start your solo with some long notes. Don't play all your stuff. Make people interested. Like who's that guy over there playing music? You know, who, what is that about? Why should I listen to him? Because he has the commitment or he or she, they have the commitment to just, just create a beautiful sound. It's very, it's very, it's like, it's, but it's like before being human, it's like, you know, it's like the natural world. <laughs> like, I don't know how to say it, but it's it's a primal in a sense. The ability to just create sound that is harmonious with this world we're stuck in. I'm not the only one that thinks like this. Miles Davis, Coltrane. Listen to how many times they begin their solo with just a beautiful note. How often do they give their, you know what I mean? They just start with something that's tone. It's just color. It's just one beautiful, like, brush stroke on the canvas. Just look, And you just look at it and say, wow, that's a, that's a cool sound. I wish I could do that. All right. So that's the first thing. Don't ever start your solo just playing a bunch of stuff. You know, like, it's almost like you have to enter space and speak cautiously. Like, if if you're joining in a song and you're getting ready to solo, there's been music happening, right? And so you're trying to get on that train of the conversation, but you're smart enough that when you play, you're listening to other people, right? So if you're listening to other people, that means you're thinking. And if you're thinking, you should probably speak slowly, right? Otherwise, you're just reacting. You don't want to start a conversation just reacting. Like, I need attention now. That's a real common problem is people start their solo. And it just sounds like, oh, I need attention right now. I need to get people's attention. You don't need to steal people's attention by interrupting them right if you have, if there's a group of people on the other side of the room you don't just walk over and start talking right you walk over you kind of look and you see what's going on and then people are interested who's this who's this person that walked over here same as same thing with music speak slowly let them gravitate to uh, what you have to say people are always more interested in you um, when you have patience in what you're trying to talk about. Okay, so don't think about music. Think about sound first. Um, the second thing, this is like a big giant topic, is developing ideas. When you play solo, it's not really supposed to be just playing the saxophone or playing the trumpet. You're actually supposed to be playing music, 
that, that has a consistent exploration, your music should have a storyline. It should follow some sort of cohesive plan. Okay, so how do you do that? Um, we do that through repetition. Um, but developing an idea, if I, if I just play um, and I run away, I call it like running away from my ideas, I just keep playing, then nothing ever grabs your attention because nothing's important to me. If I just, so if I play like that, my, I'm not, not going to develop any ideas. I'm just going to keep playing. Right, there's nothing there because I'm just talking constantly. I'm just saying stuff and it doesn't mean anything. I don't care about my notes, so why should you? That's the danger of 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 being a of like of playing too aggressively. People will care about the faster stuff you play when you introduce yourself slowly and like make it clear what you're playing about. So when I say developing ideas, and this time I'm gonna play and I'm going to repeat my ideas and actually develop them into something. By that point, you understand what I'm talking about, right? What is he on about? What's this dude going on and on about? That's what I'm letting you discover by, again, by using um, space at the beginning and developing my, I'm developing a, 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 a an exploration of that idea by repeating it many different ways. I'll take another idea. <laughs> Right, the repetition. We call it developing, but it's also just basically re repeating yourself in different ways. Saying this idea is the, like the idea of your music should lead your playing, rather than you just playing stuff. Right, that's just playing stuff. Like any computer can just play notes, but what we do really well as as creatures is follow a note's direction. changing but it's getting bigger like it's mutating into something else but it's still like it it's it still has its core 
that it came from. It started from this, right? But by the end, it was. It, it changed into something else. So the idea can mutate just like a bug or virus. I hate to use virus terms right now, but it used to be cool to say things were viral. Now it's not as much fun. But the point being is it can mutate. It can change into something else. The idea doesn't have to be stagnant, but it gives you a grounding like feeling in your solo that you're actually working on something. regular person can get that there's 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 um like humans have really good ability to follow ideas if you're co coherent most jazz guys get mad at the world because people don't like their ideas not want to say most jazz people but some jazz people get mad at the world because people don't understand what you're playing well maybe you need to play stuff that begins from a point of of logic of repetition and developing an idea that People can hear, people can hear it. If you play jazz sort of the right way, people do understand it. The reason jazz still survives is because enough people do understand what we're doing. What, where people fall in the cracks and like they get frustrated with their life as a jazz musician is, you know, maybe you're not saying enough in your lines that regular people, um, that they can they can hang with you on you know um and then at that point the art is lost if the, if you can't take the audience on a journey maybe you're not going on a journey and maybe that's part of the problem you know regular people should clap when you play you know regular when you play jazz or any other type of music people should clap because they like your personality on stage you know so, so and that comes from developing things that are worth hearing, right? Nobody, anybody can just go hit the piano or play a whole bunch of notes and all that stuff. Um, but it's hard to pick the right notes. And that's what we do when we develop it. It's like, what does the music say you should play next? Um, you have to get out of your own head and sort of ego of, of being a performer. As a jazz musician, you have to let the music speak for itself and build ideas um, from the logic that, that they are born with. And every, every time you play something that has potential, and some ideas are more difficult than others to negotiate with. But at the end of the day, if you play a great solo, it comes from you presenting information and then letting that information dictate the, the trajectory of your solo. So it's a very unselfish thing, right? You have to, you play, and then whatever you play leads you to play other things, you know? So again, you're not trying to like write, you're not trying to read from scripture or write scripture. Like you're trying to let the music flow through you as a performer. And that is risky because sometimes it's not all crazy and fiery, right? Every solo is not gonna come out of you it's not going to be full of energy if it's really authentic it can't nobody's fired up and 
intensely excited all the time. So when you play from like the real spirit of the music, the music is the, whatever the music is saying, it's very um, like unpredictable and you have to kind of get used to that. Okay, so develop your ideas. Uh, next point is uh, levels of contrast. Um, it, anything you play gets old, right? It's like you open a bottle of wine, it's great in like 20 minutes from now, but tomorrow it's not good, right? So in your solo, that sort of time is compressed. As soon as you start playing something, it's fresh and it's new. Um, but if you, if you only have one gear, if you only play in third gear, if you only play eighth notes, if you only play loud, if you only play melodically, you know, if you only do, if you have like a sort of limitation, then that is going to um, wear out your audience because people lose interest when they hear what's going to happen next. You know, if, if an audience feels like I've heard enough of this guy, it's because you're not using enough contrast. And the master of using this sort of contrast to me is Wayne Shorter. You know, listen to Wayne Shorter's solo on, on um, Speak No Evil, on Witch Hunt, on Witch Hunt. Listen to that solo, how he, like everybody plays these awesome solos, but his solo is like very spacious and he, he waits because he comes to these points where he could play what's expected and he doesn't because he's going to surprise you by not playing what you think he's going to play next. That contrast keeps people interested. It's like, in a sense, we're, we're sort of like watching a painter paint in real time when you watch the jazz music and he's, he's basically painting, right? And if you, if you see the painter, like, and he starts working on a house, in this in the canvas bob ross or somebody <laughs> it becomes a little bit dull if you know how that house is going to look finished already so the better idea is to sort of like leave it a little bit vague and move on to something else wayne shorter does that a lot to me in his solos he 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 listens to what he's playing and then sometimes he's like okay i gotta do i gotta I have to unleash something totally different right now and then come back to this later because you have to keep people guessing a little bit. You have to keep them on their toes. If they feel like you're just playing constantly, then you can lose interest. Um, and this is one of the hardest things to do, I would say. A lot of musicians get really good at being one sort of person, but the truth is you need to be multiple people and you be, the more flexible you are and versatile you are, the more you're absorbing all these other types of musicians around you. So you have to be sort of a vacuum cleaner of the world. You can play like anybody. That gives you a lot of contrast and a lot of different perspective. Whatever I play becomes dull after a couple minutes, but if I use some space, and then something surprising, it can kind of draw you back in. Same with talking. You know, if somebody talks constantly, wears you out. Um, let me play this clip again.
and I'm just gonna try and create some contrast. almost like a as a little crude example but it's almost like a wrong note sitting there that dissonance creates a contrast it's unexpected miles davis is the master of this plays like really punchy crazy phrases and then he just plays like a big long note that's the complete opposite of that and he just drives you nuts with something he plays something like very bright and happy and then something incredibly sarcastic because your audience is then left like they're going, I want to see how this turns out. I'm going to listen to this guy. I got to see how he deals with this Jekyll and Hyde situation, you know? <laughs> Like that long note, kind of different than everything else. Space is contrast. Long note. Right? So then, like, like a long note, very lyrical thing, and then a real mechanical moment, and then back to a long note. So again, if I feel like, and you don't have to use incredible contrast all the time, I wouldn't, because then it can be like, it can be too combative. But if you're playing a, a long gig or a long solo, you lose people. You lose people. Like when I play um, like a, a three hour jazz gig, that's some of the most taxing work on my brain. The first 45 minutes, I get to sort of be this person. And then if you're looking at, if you're paying attention to your audience, you start to notice, like, I have to do something different now. This is the second act. When you come out for the, the next set, you can't just, you can't have the same type of solos. You can't have the same type of personality because they're on to you by then. And they have to, in order for them to stay, to listen to you, there has to be more dimension than just being um, a, just a sort of fast bebop jazz solo guy. You have to have a whole variety of personalities that can draw people in if you're really going to make it through a long gig. Right? We're talking about today, we're just talking about building a solo. You have to think about that in the big perspective. How do I build an entire show or a three hour gig? You know, how do I could be because at that point, it's a whole different level of sort of mental exhaustion. And if you approach it the wrong way, you just sort of go out there and play and your audience loses. They don't they're going to leave. They're going to go somewhere else. But if you play for 45 minutes and you take a break, you come back and on this, the next set, you start with something incredibly soft or quiet. You're going to draw them back in. Right. So it's always this up and down in this this battle between people's attention spans and the music you're trying to convey.
you wouldn't listen to an opera that was, you know, or go, go to a symphony if it sounded like, um, if it was all just medium swing, right, for, for, for three hours. You wouldn't go see that opera or that symphony if it's three hours of medium swing. It's not good. Um, and jazz is the same thing, but the, pro the, the challenge is that the, the group has to figure that out as a small group and figure out how to create variety um, and create contrast across the whole spectrum of your show. You might like, like, I love, I have five songs I wrote that are killer jams that are just, you know, in your face type of songs, but I can't play all those songs on the same night because it's too much on my audience. Like it's too much of the same stuff. I don't like playing some of the other slow stuff that I have as much. I have to find something deeper in that because your audience needs that contrast. Okay. Um, the next thing is, is repetition. This kind of, we, we kind of talked about this under development. Um, but don't be, basically, you're not, if you don't repeat yourself, you're not saying anything in music because people don't understand um, what you're playing if you don't repeat it. Okay. Uh, let me show you what I mean by that. Oh, I don't even need the track for this one. If I'm just playing, um, let's see. If I, re if I play continuously without repeating myself, it just sounds like I'm just practicing or I'm, I don't know how to tell a story. I'm just practicing my words. I'm practicing sentences, but I'm really not telling you a story about music. This is that kind of like, like bad improvisation where I'm just trying my saxophone out basically. <laughs> But my ideas don't have any reason to exist. They're just they're just going from one part of the horn to the other. Right. Like this doesn't I do it for most people because the ideas don't have um, any gravity because there's nothing that's repeated. I need repetition to make something more interesting. And there's a lot of different types of repetition. You can, re you know, like we talked about that, you can repeat things and change things or, but you need some sort of repetition. solo in the world but it had more repetition i was focused on making sure that i listen to myself and play it again differently right play it again differently play it again with a longer tail and then it comes down those are all thirds coming down Builds a nice little staircase. Sorry, my clip came off here. Uh, our little staircase has its own repetition. <laughs> <laughs> 
audience and people love that because it makes sense. Just like Bach makes sense. If you listen to J.S. Box. A lot of repetition. That's how he created great written out solos um, that today we create as improvisation. He's not just, listen to how much he repeats himself. Once, and then he plays it again. Now this idea goes up. This one goes down. Up. Down. Staircase I talked about earlier. Well, staircase that goes down. Same idea. We basically play Bach live when we improvise. A lot of repetition, a lot of staircases in the way the lines move. Um, unlike Bach, we use unusual spaces today. The space is, and this is really hard for young improvisers, is to, to play and then take a break and not play, and then play, play another idea. Let me get rid of my subtitle thing there. Um, to play, you want to play, um, you want to leave, again, keep your, keep your audience a little bit off their step in what you're trying to do. So if anything becomes too repetitive, you can use space to put it to, to create like an unexpected um, break from sound. I'll put some, I'll play some phrases with unusual spaces. Like whenever it gets too predictable, I'm going to stop playing. And by stopping, it makes you wonder where this is going. spaces. Here is 
guy off for a second. Thanks, dude. Um, the concept here is is not just unusual spaces, but some of the notes. I just I, I hung out on some of the more dissonant notes for a minute, just like Miles would, because it um, it makes you it makes you pause and say, "Oh, I didn't expect that to happen." You know, the the beauty of music and the beauty of art is it gives us perspectives. And when you have an interesting perspective, it doesn't look like what people expect. That's what makes it interesting, right? The reason we like Picasso is that he saw all these strange shapes in people and he brought those shapes out. He didn't paint the perspective that um, people expected, that uniqueness like the strangeness of him was was considered outlandish at first, but once people got used to it, it changed the world. Um, the other thing to think about when you're building a good solo is just think about moving a story of music moving away from the root or the tonic of your chord, right? In this case, I'm just playing in my C minor. <laughs> This is the history of Western music, going back to Gregorian chant, like when the monks started singing and started singing in one voice, what they were doing was telling a story of, the, of music moving away from the root or the tonic. It always started on the root. surprising that the spiritual stuff of the of Gregorian chant on saxophone ends up sounding pretty spiritual in the same way as John Coltrane right that's because they're both moving away from the root they're, they're telling these stories where you start with the tonic and your solo kind of goes out into space and discovers something and then it comes back to the root where it started that last note really makes the whole thing complete it makes it like makes it feel like it's coherent and that it's finished. And that's, that's so important that your solos um, have that element to it. You need to kind of practice all of these little things in these slides, all of these individually. And, um, you know, you have to focus on building like your, your habit of sort of thinking about like the, the process of a solo and like, and, and what's, in, what's important. And this, they're all sort of like different exercises, right? I still do this. Like a lot of times I'll warm up and I'll just play some like basic, like open sort of improvisation, just starting from a note, right? And if I start, this time I'll like start from G. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
point being is that in all of jazz, in all of music, pretty much even in, if you go to listen to Tibetan monks chant, there's this sense of the root or the tonic in music. And the, our, the story of our human existence is about coming, leaving this note that we start with and coming back to it in the end. So even in jazz, which is, you know, a bebop crossword puzzle and all that, it still has a strong sense of the, the root. You hear that G that I uh, kept playing? Um, there's, there's complex stuff in between. But there's a sense of starting with that note and ending with it. If you have that in your solos, you're, you don't want to hang out on the root in the middle of your solo too much, I find, because it can just be like anticlimactic. It sounds like, okay, that's, the, that's either where we started from or where we ended. So why are you playing that in the middle, right? It's sort of like the, giving away the ending of your movie by... Like, oh, he's going to kill her at the end of the movie. If you said that in the middle of the movie, like it blows the whole movie out. Or she's going to kill him, whatever. Um, the point being, use the root to, to like start your solo, go somewhere, and then see what it sounds like when you come back to it. It gives you a sense of like purpose in your soul. Okay. Um, the next thing is another thing I like to practice for, like for soloing. It's just an idea of open, opening a box. Open your solo up slowly. And we're out of time here. Um, open, open your, oh, like start with a small idea and make it bigger, right? So a lot of times if I'm um, stuck, I'll play a game or something. I'll say, I'm just going to start with um, an interval, like a fourth, and say, I'm going to stay between uh, D and G. I'm just going to improvise in that box. And then I'm going to slowly open the box and make the, the box a little bigger, add more notes to the top of it. Check that out. I'm going to stay, I'm going to improvise with all the notes between D and G, but then as I go, I'm going to add more notes to it. And that audiences go nuts for this because again, they hear you developing something in a small space, a limited language, and then you're slowly making that language develop into a complex um, narrative. Check it out. I'll play between these two notes, right? Then I'll play all the notes in between it. And then I'll gradually add more notes on top of it. I started with a small group. I'll start with an even smaller group this time. I'll start with uh, D and E 
three notes, D, E, E flat in the middle, and E above it. I'll just start with those three. Right, so I started with three. By the end, I was playing seven notes but like audience is like dude i know what you're doing like it's like something this box of notes is getting bigger they can hear the pitch going up and they know something that's going on they say oh man i don't know what he's doing but i like it i like it it's like it's getting a little higher that's exciting stuff because it's limited i started with something really small and then it's gradually becoming a bigger item okay so try that one out it's one of my favorite tricks if you like at the end of a gig, I'm like, audience is tired. I'll go to this one because it'll it just draws people in, draws people in. They get it. Like, man, that's intense. Like, he's only playing, he's only improvising with three notes, and yet then he's like moving, like the the he's added another note. Maceo Parker does this a lot. Maceo Parker, check him out on Planet Funk or like the name of the album. Uh, live from Planet Groove, he has a famous solo on the beginning of that album. He does this for like five minutes. It's incredible. Um, another thing is to just think about directional change. This is a fun one. Play something up. Um, play something down. Play something up. Play something down. That's something people get and that you get and everybody that likes music gets. So now play something down, up, down, up, down, up. Then I'll play four things up and then four things down. Makes sense. So that's a neat one to practice. If you like, whenever you're improvising you have to find all these little games that i'm sort of showing you in your head because you have to figure out how do i play something different how do i play something that people aren't expecting to me this is one that i'll go to if like i'm stuck again like i'm gonna play something up i'm down up down or play a couple lines up then a couple lines down all right um at the end of the day um at the end of the day, everything is just scales and arpeggios in jazz, right? It's just scales or an arpeggio. Right? These are just techniques, but it is all just based off of your ability to practice your scales and your arpeggios. Check out this, listen to this little bit of solo here. I can tell you it's all, I'm not even gonna use arpeggios. I'm just gonna play scales. Is that that was all just our, our just all scales. I didn't even 
mostly just everything moving by step through the scales. Check it out, just arpeggios. to be the uh, perfect imitator of Louis Armstrong, but he he's one to, a great person to listen to for arpeggios. Um, I'm trying to pull my screen back up here. Um, the other thing, the last thing I want to leave you with is that you're only as good as your knowledge of other people. It's not all about you folks to play jazz it is about everybody and your knowledge of multiple personalities and perspectives and like knowledge of art and dance and everything that's hip out there you have to know about it if you want to play jazz you have to absorb the world people like duke ellington he wasn't just into duke ellington the reason he was duke ellington is because he was into everybody else he could look at a beautiful woman walk by and write a piece called sophisticated lady or satin doll. That wasn't him. It was Duke Ellington being aware of the world and noticing people. Um, so make sure that your music represents that. When you play, you should be, you have to play all the people of the world that have played music before you. <laughs> like, and that's sort of overwhelming, but it, it, you, have to, uh, you have to understand that you're part of a uh, dialogue and that you are part of jazz history. And in order for you to be a part of history, you have to play with the spirit of people that have gone before you and what they were interested in because they were just as smart as you are. So play with the heart of other jazz musicians and like discover why Sonny Rollins plays these really punchy rhythms and why Duke Ellington plays these beautiful lyrical phrases. Um, the more knowledge you have of, of everybody that played this music and stuff outside of jazz also, the more, you know, why did Coltrane go to India? You need to think about that because he couldn't get it all from, from just jazz. All right. So when you play, if you have this sort of view of the world in your heart and you read books and you listen to smart podcasts and you, you know, you, you check out some philosophy books and all of that stuff, it all makes you um, a complete musician. It's not just about putting chops on stage to play a good solo. You have to bring with you sort of a commitment to this uh, discipline of, and like being an intellectual person. It's a it's an important part of it that that um, people at the top always have this characteristic. I feel like um, when you meet the the best players, they're they're pretty aware of of the, the world. They know like they know. They, they're good at picking up on people's tells and they understand like the negotiator and the contracts and they know like why people do things. So you have to understand that. And like, as far as soloing goes, you're always playing for your audience and the best solo you can play is the one that connects with people. 
So you have to understand that you have to get outside of yourself in a sense and have this sort of giving spirit when you play. And when you meet most jazz musicians, a lot of them are incredibly humble because they've, um, they've had that commitment to studying um, the music and to studying people. And I hope that gives you some idea of, um, again, the, mo the biggest problem people have is just getting in touch with themselves inside of their musical spirit and finding their own voice that is also a reflection of other people's voices around them, right? Because we all come from the same sort of musical spirit and you have to have yourself and it has to connect with other people and it connects with other people because you listen to them and you play what you, I don't know, you have to be the music that you see in other people. All right. So thanks for joining me. Um, it's been a blast and I hope this helps you solo better. You can always reach out to me uh, through Clearwater Jazz or through my website, PeteCarney.net. We're glad to give you guys any advice I can along the way. Another great session, Pete. Thank you so much for being part of this. Awesome, awesome stuff. We look forward to Thank seeing you. you soon, Pete, around our events and some more of these sessions. And like Pete said, if you want to get in touch with him, check him out, look him up. And, um, and please visit us at clearwaterjazz.com, education and outreach section for all of the upcoming sessions and the archive of these wonderful videos. You can also listen to them on the podcast. And, uh, you know, stay safe out there. Be well, everybody. Keep playing. And, Pete, we will see you soon. All right. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.